feel like praising him. Amen. God has been good to me. He's been good to me. I know he's been good to each of you as well. Praise God. Amen. So glad for each of you that are in the house of the Lord today. And uh, we appreciate your presence here. Appreciate those that are listening online. Glad to have you joining us as well for this uh, Mother's Day. And I, I asked Brother Goff, he said, go tell all the beautiful mothers good morning or God bless you or something. I said, man, what about the ugly ones? I don't want anybody to feel left out. I, But then I looked up and didn't see any of them here, so. Praise God. So I think we're doing okay. I think we're doing okay. Praise God. We do appreciate appreciate you being here. Appreciate the presence of the Lord. Amen. We're going to get into the word of the Lord this morning. Brother Goff, it just dawned on me. I don't know what I did. I don't know that I gave you the right scriptures this morning. Oh, yeah, because I don't even have the right notes in front of me. I do have them on my phone. So you don't have to worry too much here. I'll, I'll use that. But I don't know if I printed out. They, they are on the teams. that they, The sound booth should have the correct list. You can compare that list with the notes that I gave you and see if, if I printed out the right ones. If not, you get to look them all up this morning. Thank God for an iPad, right? I'll try to be nice to you. Try to be nice to you. I got to move this set of notes out of my way because I'll keep wanting to look back at them. I think there's only one other time in my 27 years of being pastor here and in my uh, nearly 40 years of pastoral ministry and 50 years of preaching that I have preached from an iPhone. And so little bit of a unique experience for me, and uh, I don't know what I did this morning, but anyhow, did I give you the right one? I did not. All right, well, so much for that. Praise God. So, um, let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 9. Now what I did is I I printed out the notes for my next installment in the series that we're in, which well I started to say I'd do that next week. Next week I'll be in Israel, and um, so it's not going to be next week, but we're only going to be gone for a week, and so the week after that, Lord willing. try then, but I really felt to go a different direction today. I try, I try to be sensitive when there are special days like Mother's Day, Father's Day, other holidays. Now, I, I always want to make myself available to God because, you know, just because we're celebrating a holiday doesn't mean that that's what the church needs at that particular moment, and so I don't ever uh, feel want to feel obligated and tied down to a calendar schedule. I want to always be sensitive, but but as I began to consider this service this morning and prayerfully uh, seek after what God would have, I really felt to lay that series aside and talk a little bit about the subject at hand. And so 2 Samuel chapter 20, we're going to read one verse of scripture there, and then we're going to back up to the book of Judges and read one verse from the book of Judges. I am struggling a bit with my voice this morning, as you can tell. We'll get through this. <clears throat> um, uh, I'm trying to think of the man's name preaching that age group, and it's becoming harder to 
call button and get it there quickly. But there was a very famous singer who made a lot of money from a raspy voice. And so I figure people don't mind it too bad. Uh, so just pretend that I'm him today. And um, maybe if I sing, what a wonderful world will not call him any names or anything, but Second uh, Samuel chapter 20 and verse number 19. Second Samuel 20, welcome to all of our guests. We're so honored to have you. Appreciate you being here with us today. Thankful that you've chosen to come on this Mother's Day. And we do want, we do want to minister to everybody today. We really do. I pray that what I've got to say will be a strength and a blessing to each of you. Second Samuel chapter 20 and verse number 19. I am one of them that are peaceable and faithful in Israel. Thou seekest to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why wilt thou swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? I want you to notice this title that she chooses for herself. She describes herself as a mother in Israel. And then in the book of Judges chapter 5, see the same title applied and again it is someone speaking of themselves Judges chapter 5 and verse 7 the inhabitants of the villages ceased they ceased in Israel until that I Deborah arose that I arose a mother in Israel so Deborah also identified herself in this way, a mother in Israel. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, amen, a mother in Israel. Let's put our Bibles down and let's reach out to the Lord. I need his touch today. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Ask the Lord to speak to us today. Everybody, let's talk to the Lord right now. Can we just lift our hands and praise the Lord for a few moments, everyone? Let's praise the Lord together. Let's praise the Lord together, everybody. Come on, let's, let's truly make him welcome in this service. I love you, Jesus. Bless you. You may be seated. Amen. I find it interesting to note that in both verses that we've used for our text today, women chose to obviously very proudly identify themselves, not just as women of Israel, but as a mother in Israel. Israel. Now the first example was a woman whose name is not given to us. She is only known by the way that the writer described her and the way that she identified herself. And this story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 20. Brother Goff, if you would read for me, beginning with verse number 13. 2 Samuel 20 and 
beginning with verse 13, we find this story. Uh, let's read 2 Samuel 20, verses 13 through 22. When he was removed out of the highway, all the people went on after Joab and pursued after Sheba and the son of Bichri and went through all the tribes of Israel unto Abel and to Beth, Beth Machaiah and all the Berites and were scattered together and went also after him. They came and besieged him and Abel and Beth Machaiah and they had cast up a bank against the city and it stood in the trench and all the people that were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. Then cried a wise woman out of the city, Hear, hear, say I pray you unto Joab, come near hither, that I may speak with thee. And when he was come near unto her, the woman said, Art thou Joab? And he answered, I am he. Then she said unto him, Hear the words of thine handmaid. And he answered, I do hear. Then she spake, saying, They were wont to speak in old time, saying, Thou shalt surely ask counsel of, at Abel. And they ended the matter. I am one of them that are peaceable and faithful in Israel. Thou seekest to destroy a city, a mother of Israel. Why wilt thou swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab answered and said, Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. And the matter is not so, but a man of Mount Ephraim, Sheba, and the son of Bichri by name, hath lifted up his hand against the king, even against David, deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. And the woman said unto Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to thee over the wall. And the woman went unto all the people in her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and cast it out to Joab. And he blew a trumpet, and they retired from the city, every man to his tent. And Joab returned to Jerusalem unto, returned to, Jerusalem unto the king. Now, the, the story here of, of this man being pursued by Joab um, on behalf of David. And Joab comes to the city wall. And he has fury in his mind and in his heart. And he is determined that he is going to destroy this man. And it appears that nothing is going to stand in his way. And so this woman who is not named by name, she, uh, she is, however, called a wise woman. And she then, in her wisdom, the Bible says, went to everyone in the city and talked to them. She discussed with them what needed to be done until the city agreed that we will give up Sheba, the son of Bichri, rather than have Joab and his army destroy this city. It's better to give up one man than to lose the whole city. And so that's why she was indeed called a wise woman. But when she identified herself to Joab, she did not call herself a wise woman. Rather, read again what we read in our text, verse 19. I am one of them that are peaceable. I am peaceable. And faithful in and Israel. I'm faithful in Israel. I'm not out to destroy King right. David. I'm not out to try to do damage to the kingdom or to the king. I'm a peaceable woman, and I'm a faithful woman. Read. Thou seekest to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. A mother in Israel. Why wilt thou swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And so she identifies herself to Joab, not as a wise woman, but I'm a faithful woman, I'm a peaceful woman, and furthermore, I am a mother in Israel. I'm here representing that role. I'm here representing that position and that title. And I'm asking you, Joab, to give consideration to the voice of a mother in Israel. The other example that we read is the story of Deborah. Her story comes to us in Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, when Ehud was, Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Japhon, king of Canaan. 
And he reigned in Hazor, the captain of the host, was Sisera, which dwelt in Horosheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, and for he had 900 chariots of iron. In 20 years he mightily suppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah the prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. She dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the Mount of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. So here is a woman, and I want you to notice what the Bible says. That she was a prophetess. The Bible also says that she judged Israel. Now this is, this is that period of time before there was a king in Israel. And, and this was during that terrible time. I just taught a Bible study the other night. I'm, I'm teaching this couple um, through the Bible, just taking book by book. And we just dealt with the book of Judges. And, and, and it's an interesting contrast that the book of Joshua was a book of success. There, there was the defeat at Ai, but other than that, it was, it was a book of success. That Israel was really at their height. Uh, they'd just come through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, but now it was a time of victory for Israel. And then at the death of Joshua, there was no clear leader that stepped to the forefront. And, and so the Bible says that during that time, every man just simply did what was right in his own eyes. And of course, any time you start following your own human logic and your own carnal thinking, you're going to end up in a mess. And that's what Israel did. And this was just a constant vicious cycle throughout the book of Judges, just constantly turning against God, backsliding, walking away from the ways of God. And, 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 and then God would, would allow them to be delivered into the hand of some foreign nation and, and, and allow them to be oppressed and to be beaten down until they would cry to God for help. And when they cried out to God, God would raise up a judge. Uh, now, the term judge is, is much different as it's used here in the book of Judges, these are not uh, clerical men who are wearing black robes and sitting in a courthouse and trying to decide um, legal matters. That's not what these men were. They, uh, these individuals were called judges because they were there to bring God's judgment against the nations that were oppressing His people. But in this instance... What we find is not even a man, but we find that God put his hand upon a woman. And so she was unique in all of the history of Israel that she was a judge. She was a deliverer for Israel. That, that's unique. I mean, she's the only one in all of their history to hold that title. Of a judge. Now, there were others who were prophetesses uh, that were used throughout Israel's history. There were other women that God uh, allowed to, to uh, be used uh, to, to speak prophecy. Deborah was not alone, but they were very few. And so she was in uh, this unique category of very few women that were able to wear the title of prophetess. But she was alone in being able to wear the title of judge as a woman. And yet when she was able to deliver Israel from these 20 years in oppression, she could have stood up as she sang her song and said, I arose a prophetess in Israel. And she would have been right. She could have put into her song of victory, I arose a judge in Israel. And she would have been right. But she didn't use either title. When she sang her song of victory, she identified herself by something that she obviously found more fitting. And evidently thought more significant. 
than being either a judge or a prophetess. Read for us again, Judges 5, verse 7. The inhabitants of the villages, villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, until arose. Until I, Deborah, arose. That I arose a mother. I arose, not a prophetess, not a judge, but I arose a mother in Israel. In Israel. It seems obvious to me that this was a more honorable title to Deborah than any other position that she might have held. To her, there was nothing that was more significant. There was nothing that was more laudable than the title of being a mother. Now, I want to ask you, why was it that these two women felt their role as a mother was more important than their wisdom. It was more important than their occupation. It was more important than their calling. It was more important than even the anointing that settled upon a woman. Evidently, these women believed that the position of mother was the highest responsibility and therefore the highest honor that they were afforded in their life. Praise God. Now why did they think that? Why did they feel that way? Well, I think that in order to examine the reasoning behind this feeling, uh, we've got to look at a belief that was held by the Jewish people uh, for many, many centuries. In fact, continues even to this day. Now, I, I want to read to you uh, portions of an article um, that uh, um, I found, if you'll bear with me for a moment, you know I don't like reading to you, but once in a while I think it is appropriate, and so I do. And I quote, uh, this article says, A child can be regarded as a Jew only, only if its mother is a Jew. The Encyclopedia, uh, Encyclopedia Judaica says that in one respect, the Jewish law discriminates against men and vests women with an advantage. Children take their national identity from their mother with the result that children from mixed marriages will only be regarded as Jewish if their mother is Jewish, but not their father. If it's a Jewish father and a Gentile woman, they're not considered Jewish. But if it's a Gentile man and a Jewish woman, they can still be considered Jewish. Now, isn't that interesting? This is what is called the matrilineal principle. Matrilineal principle. It comes from the word mater, which is mother, and linear in a line. Um, there is uh, this idea that is held that it is from the line of the mother that a child really receives the honor of being considered a son or daughter of Abraham. Now there's evidently much debate as you start looking into this, uh, much debate among the Jews as to why they follow this principle as it is not specifically stated in the scriptures. But it is the methodology as far as I could find that is used even by the Jews to this very day. Now bear with me here for just a few moments while I lay a bit of a foundation. The following gives an interesting perspective and it may indeed provide a bit of a clue. Those of you that are familiar with the Talmud, the Talmud is the writing of Jewish rabbis through the ages. And the Talmud constantly compares men and women. Usually in the writings of the Talmud, 
the male takes supremacy over the female. But there is one region where it appears that the rabbis believe that the woman surpasses the man. And that is in the realm of what is called kesed. Now, now again, I don't want to bore you. Just stay with me. But kesed, uh, we are told that women uh, are constantly greater in this area than, in, uh, than when it comes to men. They are more merciful. They are quicker to extend acts of charity and kindness. The sages through the years state that women are naturally compassionate. Now it's not clear whether the sages mean all women or just Jewish women. But it's very possible that since they don't specify that this is in their minds a trait that is common to all women. The mercifulness, the kindness, the charity of women becomes an integral part of her. And that results in greater charity. Clearly this is a quality possessed by women that was always now again, this word kased is the word that is often translated mercy from the Hebrew. But it's actually a, a near Hebrew equivalent of a Greek word with which some of you may be familiar. It is the Greek word agape. Agape is that Greek word that is used to speak of sacrificial love. It is usually translated charity in the King James Bible, uh, but, it, but it is really a, a word that speaks of, as I said, the deepest form of sacrificial love. It is agape that is used to discuss the love of God himself. So when agape is the word that is used in the New Testament, its equivalent in the Old Testament is chesed. Chesed. So this significant role that is played by chesed can be seen in the story of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite woman. She was urged by her mother-in-law, Naomi, to approach Boaz to redeem her in marriage. Because of her great chesed, Boaz says to her, Blessed of God, my daughter, that you have made your latest act of chesed greater than the first. Now in our King James Bible, let's read this verse. It is Ruth chapter 3 and verse number 10. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness. More kindness in the is latter. the way that King James chose to translate it here. But the Hebrew word is chesed. You have shown more chesed in the latter end, the latter end than, at the beginning. than at the beginning. Inasmuch as thou wert followest not the young men, whether poor or rich. It was this thing about Ruth that stood out so strongly in Boaz's eyes. Here was a woman who could have gone after younger men, could have gone after uh, a lot of things. She could have remained in Moab, but she chose to stay with her aging mother-in-law and take care of her rather than seek out another husband. Rather than look out for her own good, she had chosen to extend compassion to an aging mother-in-law to which she really had no obligation or responsibility. 
She didn't have any children. It wasn't because this was the grandmother of her children. In fact, Orpah, the other of Naomi's daughters-in-law, had chosen to return to Moab, but not Ruth. Ruth said, I'm going to stay with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Your people will become my people. And your God, my God. And so this nurturing side of a woman is, is what God put within her. And so it seems that the Jewish people believe that because a woman tends to be more nurturing and more charitable, that God approves of determining the status of the child based on its mother rather than its father. Now, again, the scripture doesn't clearly state that this is the way God sees it. But there are in the scripture at least two important instances of this matrilineal principle. Let me show them to you. First of all, consider Galatians chapter 4, verses 22 through 31. For it is written that Abraham hath two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he was of the bondwoman, was born after the flesh, but he of the free was, by, was by promise. Yes. Which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, and which, generate, which generate to bondage, which is Agar. Which is Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, answer to Jerusalem, which now is, and is bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not break, bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an, hus hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born of after the flesh persecuteth him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Yes. Now, let, let's, let's read Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. Not as though the word of God have taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither, because they are of the seed of Abraham, are they all the children. But in Israel they shall be this, but shall thy seed be called. That is, hang on, hang on. go back and read verse seven again. Neither, which neither, because they are, are are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. But in Isaac, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Okay, read. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promises are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. You understand, I've read these verses, you understand that both Isaac and Ishmael had the same father. But the bloodline was not through the father. Ishmael did not inherit the promises of God. Ishmael was not the father of the chosen. It was Isaac. Now what's the difference between Ishmael and Isaac? The difference, they've got the same father. What's the difference? The difference is the mother. The chosen bloodline came through the mother, not through the father. Are you with me today? Now, that's one example that we see in Scripture. 
where God makes it clear. His choice is upon the son who has the right mother. Not just having the right father. The second instance is Jesus Christ himself. You understand that Jesus could not technically have considered himself a Jew. Had it not been for the fact that his mother was a Jew. There was no other way to tie him into the bloodline. Because his father did not have a bloodline. Hello? His father was the spirit. God is a spirit. And a spirit does not have blood. So the only way that Jesus could claim to be a Jew and could claim the promises of Abraham and could claim to be the seed of David, it had to come through his mother, not through his father. And that's why, although Matthew lists the genealogy of Joseph, Luke the physician traces the lineage through Mary, his mother. Well, praise God. Amen. I'm convinced that there is a significance that a mother possesses that is unequal. Now, I'm not downplaying the role of a father, and I, I'm certainly not saying that the father is unnecessary. In fact, that's the exact opposite of what I believe. But what I am saying is that a mother has, a, has, has an effect on the lives of her children that is far more influential than many of us realized. As a mother, I want to talk to you ladies that are here today. You are blessed and favored of God to be able to impact the lives of your children in a way that is second to none. God's looking at something special because of mama. God looks at what goes on through the mother and what the mother is able to hand down to her children. Who was it that felt a deep desperation to the point of fasting and intercession and a sacrificial vow? 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses 7 through 11. And as he did so year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, and therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah unto her husband to her, Hannah. Then, now, now please pay attention. Then her husband said, Why Hannah, weepest thou? Why are you crying? And why eatest thou not? Why are you fasting? And why is thy heart grieved? Why are you so upset? Am I not, am, am not I better to thee than ten sons? Am I not better than ten sons? Three. So, so Hannah rose up after she had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk, now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. Uh -huh. And she was in, she bitterness, was in of soul. bitterness of soul. And she prayed unto the Lord and wept she sore. She prayed. She wept sore. And she vowed and a vow. she made a vow to God. And said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Do you see what I see in this passage? Elkanah, the husband, the father, was content with what he had. But Hannah was not. I'm telling you, the only reason why we have the books of Samuel, the only reason why we have the example of this praying man and this great prophet of Israel daddy would have been content with what he had but there was a mama that said oh no 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 I'm going to get a hold of God I'm going to move the heart of God I've got to see God do something right. who was it 
that felt a desperation for children to the point of death. Genesis chapter 30, verses 1 and 2. And Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children. Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me Give children, me children or, else I or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Jacob Rachel. Jacob got mad. And he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of thy womb? Jacob was content with what he had, but Rachel was not. You understand the great story that we have of Joseph. The example that he set before us is only because of a woman who was not content with the way things were. She's the one that prayed until heaven moved. She's the one that got a hold of God and caused him to do something. I'm telling you the reason why we have the story of Joseph is because of a mama, not because of daddy. Who was it that trained Moses in the ways of God? Who was it that taught him to make the right decisions at crucial times? Exodus chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. Now, Moses' dad was a slave. Now, don't, don't act so surprised. All of the Israelites were slaves at that point. Moses' dad was a slave. He had one obligation. He had to work for his taskmaster. That's all he could do. But mama, there was something different about mama. She was at home with the child. She was instilling in him the principles of God while she had him in her care. In fact, even though the book of Hebrews says that he was hidden for three months by his parents... I want you to see who it was that evidently took the initiative to hide him and who it was that evidently had the idea to build an ark for him. Exodus chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child. When she saw that he was a goodly child. She hid him she, three months. Do you see that? Right. She hid him for three months. Read. And when she could not when longer she hide could him, not longer hide him, she took for she, him an ark. She took for him an ark. An ark of bulrushes. Yes. And daubed it with slime yes. and with pitch. Yes. And put the child therein. Right. And she laid it she in the flags by the, the river's flags bank. By the river's brink. And she's the one that told Miriam, "Stand there and watch what happens to your brother. Be be sure you take." I'm telling you, Daddy was hard at work for the taskmasters. Didn't have any choice in the matter. But Mama was making some plans. Mama was doing something nobody else could do. We have the story of Moses and the great deliverance because here was a mother in Israel who stepped up to the plate and did what needed to be done. Now, I'm not denying that Amram was in favor of what she did. I'm not, I'm not denying that he supported her in her efforts. But I am telling you, it was Jochebed that saved the life of Israel's deliverer and prophet. It was Jochebed that made the difference in the life of that man. It was because of what Jochebed said, said that when the time came, he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He made those decisions because mama put something in him. I want you to think about, even again, the story of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Listen to this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Uh -huh. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being 
a just man. Now, now, Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Joseph was ready to end this relationship. He was going to call off. Now, he was a just man. He wasn't going to make an example out of her. He wasn't going to embarrass her or put her to public shame. But he was going to end the relationship. And, and for those of you who don't know, in Bible times, when you entered into an engagement, this was not just an agreement between the two of you that you just break off and go get engaged to somebody else. An engagement was a binding contract whereby people considered you to be married to that individual. You just were not yet allowed to consummate the marriage. But you were still under contract, and the only way to end that engagement was through a legal process of divorce. Well, there'd be a lot less engagements today. People wouldn't be quite so quick to get all sappy and, oh, I'm in love. Or, um, but I want you to think about the difference between Joseph and Mary. And again, I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing Joseph, and I'm not throwing him under the bus. But I want you to think about for a moment the difference here. Joseph finds out that she is expecting. He knows that's not his child. And so he just wants to end the relationship. He wants to divorce her. He wants to forget it all and move on. Mary, on the other hand, had been confronted by an angel. And the angel said, you're going to be pregnant. Now think about it. The moment the angel said that to Mary, you understand Mary knew. Nobody else is going to believe an angel spoke to me. Mary had to recognize in her mind what she was going to have to to live with not just during the pregnancy but even beyond in the eyes of those who knew her Jesus would always be an illegitimate child they're not going to believe that an angel spoke to her they're not going to believe the Holy Ghost caused her to conceive she had to live with the constant shame everywhere she went Everywhere she went. Now, today's society, nobody thinks much about women being pregnant when they're not married. But I'm telling you, it was a different world back then. And the fact that she, in fact, it was a different world when I was growing up. But that's another story for another day. But the fact that she was expecting and was not yet married, everywhere she went, they were talking about her behind her. It was living with constant shame. But Mary said to the angel, be it unto me. I'm willing to do what God wants me to do. Nobody's going to understand me. Nobody's going to be on my side. You hear me? What are her parents thinking? What would you think as a parent if this is the story your daughter brought you? You'd say, yeah, angel, all right, fallen angel. Right? You're not going to believe a story like that. Remember the timing of all of this as well. 400 years of silence. No prophets in Israel for four centuries. And all of a sudden, a young girl comes along and says, an angel told me. Mary said, I'll bear the shame. I'll walk with it. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people say. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Come on. I could really get way off track here today. You know, sometimes we don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to be looked down on. We don't want to in any way be uncomfortable in living for God. God help us. Think about what Mary, what price Mary had to pay to be the mother of our Lord.
Mary was willing. Joseph, on the other hand, uh, he had some second thoughts. He had some doubts about it all. He wasn't quite as ready until an angel spoke to him as well. I, I, I'm, I'm just trying this morning on this Mother's Day to let you know that mothers have a very special role in the eyes of God. This is why I think it's fitting for the church to take time to honor mothers. Not just this one day a year. But the role they play is invaluable. They are doing things that no one else can do. You know, several years ago, the passing of <clears throat> Brother Carl Elder. I've known the Elder family for many years. But I, I was visiting with his son who pastors in Colorado, talking to him about his dad. And, and, and he began to talk to me about the circumstances that, of his dad's upbringing. And, and to do that, he had to talk to me about his grandmother. You, you probably remember Sister Edwina Elder. Um, now, I didn't know any of this. I had not heard the stories, but... Brother Paul Elder was telling me the story and, and uh, he told me about this woman and the life that she lived. She was still alive when Brother Carl Elder passed away and that was her second son to die and, and both of them by drowning. She'd also buried a grandson died at the age of 11. But more than that, this woman lived a life of grief and heartache and pain. Her husband had backslid early in their marriage. He became an alcoholic. He was extremely abusive to her. He hated the church. And he took that hatred out on her. He saw her one day headed to church. They were outside, if I've got the story right. Neighbors were around where they could hear. And her husband asked her, said, where are you going? said, I'm going to church. He grabbed her, ripped her clothes off of her, and said, go now. She grabbed her coat. She buttoned it up. And she said, let's go to the hospital. He was so angry at her determination. When she would go, he, he got to the place he would beat her mercilessly to try to keep her from going to church. There were times that she and the children would literally have to hide from him. And finally, he left her. And Brother Carl Elder, at the age of 12, to start supporting the family. And yet, Sister Elder never wavered. She continued to live for God. She continued to raise her children in accordance with God's word. And you know what happened as a result? For the Carl Elder became a preacher, pastored in Hutchinson, Kansas for 44 years. That man did more to help 
the cause of home missions in the state of Kansas than anybody I know. He constantly had a heart for helping men get churches started. He drove across the state and wept. The burden that he carried. When he was 65 years old, he started traveling to Vietnam. And in fact, even sneaking in to the communist-controlled North Vietnam at 65 years old so he could preach the gospel. At the time of his death, all of his children were living for God. His son pastoring a church. His son-in-law pastoring a church. He now has grandchildren that are preaching the gospel. I'm going to tell you, there was something that took place because of that matrilineal principle that mom elder, when her husband did not want anything to do with God, here was a woman that stood for what was raised her kids right and she's not alone I could go through many many stories of women just like that I want to say this morning and I'm, I, I am coming to a close musicians if you want to come but I want to say to you moms this morning no matter whether your husband lives for God or not you can pass along a heritage that nobody can take from your children your role as a mother is far more important than any occupation you can take on. This is where the world is doing so much damage to women today. Telling them we want to liberate you. We want you to be free. We want you to have your own careers. I'm going to tell you there's no higher calling than to be a mother in Israel. There's nothing greater. And I'm not opposed to women working. And I'm not saying they can't do it. But I'm just telling you, you need to get a fresh vision of just what an honor it is for you to raise those children and raise them right. To be able to put something in them. To be able to teach them the ways of God. You've got an opportunity before you that God entrusted in women. One of the greatest biblical heroes, women like Sarah and Rebecca, Rachel, Mary, believed that their most important task was to raise and nurture the next generation of the house of Israel. So their role as a mother was a substantive one. As she plays softly, there is one more story I want to tell you that also comes from the Talmud. Individual by the name of Mar Ukba lived somewhere in the third century AD, that is, somewhere between 200 and 300 AD. This man and his wife were very charitable, very sensitive to the needs of the poor. But they, they wanted to do it in a way that no one would know where the help was coming from. They wanted to remain anonymous in their efforts to the point that, according to the story, at one time they thought the recipients of their charity were going to 
discovered them and they ran into a furnace from which a fire had just been swept. Still very hot. Fire was out, but it was extremely hot. The embers that remained were burning Mar Ukba's feet. But his wife looked over to him and said these words. She said, stand on my feet and be protected. And so he did. And his feet were not burned. I think that's what each of these mothers were doing. That's what Sister Elder was doing. She was saying to her kids, you stand on my feet. I'll take the heat. I'll walk across the embers for you. You just stand on my feet and be protected. That's what Moses' mama, Jochebed, was saying. Moses, I'll take the heat for this. You can stand on my feet. I'm saying to you mothers you can say the same thing to your children I'm going to live a life and you can just stand on my feet and you'll be protected let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord right now can we Let's love him together. Let's love him together.